0: Before we start, a short word from our sponsors. Now I have two sponsors for this episode, WP RSS Aggregator and Spotlight. Both of them are WordPress plugins and let me tell you how they work. So WP RSS Aggregator can be used to import information, blog posts and other content that is based on RSS from other websites and you can use it to create your own website based on this imported content. A good example of what can you can create can be seen at eurofinanceblogs.com. Again, it's eurofinanceblogs.com. This is a website I built with this plugin and you can see how I managed to aggregate all the news items from various finance blogs in Europe so that's one of the use cases that I found very useful for WPRSS aggregator. Now the other plugin Spotlight can be used to import Instagram images into your website. Now this can be useful for your own personal website for example to make sure that when people visit your website they can also see the images you have on your social media in this case Instagram and it can also be good for those who are selling products. In fact, with the pro version, you are able to import hashtags, which means that when people, for example, customers, take photos with your product and hashtag, use the hashtag, you can then pick up all those photos and import them into your product website. Not only that, but you have the option to curate those images, so only the ones the photos from Instagram that you want to show up in your website will do so. So check those products out, it's SpotlightWP.com and WPRSSAggregator.com Both of them have free versions on WordPress.org and they operate on a freemium model which means that some features, the pro features are available uh, as a pro premium paid version which are available on their respective websites. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Mastermind.fm, this is Jean Galea and with me today I have entrepreneur Johannes Larsson, who is the CEO and founder of Financer.com. In this episode we talk about the difference between the mentalities and the lifestyles of Southern and Northern Europe, as well as Johannes' journey from Sweden, which is his home country through Malta, and then eventually settling in Cyprus. I'm interested in this journey because I met Johannes in Malta around 10 years ago when he was in the initial stages of his entrepreneurial journey. And yeah, I mean, he's a really interesting person and successful entrepreneur. So it was good to be back in touch with him and learn from his experience creating Financer.com, the way in which he employees people and the, the incentives he offers for working at Financer, which I found really interesting. It's a remote company. And we also get into some practical uh, issues of life in Southern Europe and how it compares and contrasts with Northern Europe and also the differences between Malta and Cyprus and what are the benefits of living in Cyprus. So if you're interested. And building an online business and seeing a kind of a backstory of how, how to build a successful business, or you're interested in moving to countries in Southern Europe like Malta or Cyprus with all their tax benefits as well, it must be mentioned. I would suggest you don't miss this episode. So without further ado, let's get into this interview. Hi, Johannes. Welcome to mastermind.fm.
1: Hello. Thank you for having
0: me. So, me and Johannes go back uh, quite a while. I don't remember the exact year when we met, but it was in Malta, maybe 10 years ago, something yeah, like that. Yeah,
1: almost like that. Eight years, nine years
0: ago. So. And obviously, you're younger than me, so you were still quite young back then. I think you were kind of starting off your journey. We both then kind of lost touch, but we kind of did a similar thing independently and so now i came across your website a couple of months back uh, i saw that you were also doing finance related things also into affiliate marketing you found a nice place to live in cyprus yeah so a lot of related things so i wanted to kind of get in, into your journey and touch on various points of interest along that journey so i think we should start off with your, like, what's the interest? First, per- your personal why did you move to Malta, first of all, from Sweden? And also, why do people in the Nordic countries uh, like Southern Europe?
1: Yeah, so that's a very good question. I think uh, there's a lot of different things. I think number one is obviously the weather for us Nordic people. Uh, but for me, it was mostly the taxes, actually and uh, being able to be in an environment with uh, other entrepreneurs. Yeah. So Malta was a really good place for that because uh, I had previously been down there to visit during the summer and I met 10, 20 Swedish entrepreneurs doing the same thing. So for me, that was like paradise, being able to just spend my days with people doing the same thing. Um, and also, it's just so hard to work inside the environment when uh, it's like dark eight months of the year. And uh, it's, uh, it's not so inspiring. I don't get very creative that way. So I just realized when I went, went to visit Malta the first time, I actually got a lot of good ideas and uh, a lot of good work done.
0: Interesting. So so the first thing that comes to mind, like me being from Malta, whenever I end up in like even in the UK, right, when there's gray weather, usually it's colder. I tended to work more because I yeah. was inside, you know, and kind of the gray weather makes me want to work. <laughs> so well, actually, to, that's, that's, to, yeah, true, yeah. that's true.
1: That's true. I would also work more, but I think my creativity would not be as good. So I would be more like in a grinding mode Mm -hmm. instead of working smart, maybe.
0: Right. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, That's one of the doubts. I have never lived long term in in a cold country, kind of. So with my wife, we usually discuss like, maybe we should move to one of these countries because things are done in a more serious way. This is when we usually start complaining about... Places like Spain or Malta, I'm like maybe we should really move to a colder country or Nordic country, where our our imagination is that every everything works perfectly. Um, you just do your own thing. You pay high taxes, but you have good services. So yeah, so that's another point. So how did you handle the disorganization and bureaucracy that you found? in say Malta or other Southern European countries? And is it really much better in Sweden from that point of view?
1: It's uh, it's a really good question as well, because this is what I think most people see as the big con with living in the Mediterranean, especially places like Malta and Cyprus. Everything else takes so much longer and uh, you're not sure how to do things. Setting up a bank account can take you three months, six months. Uh, it can also take you two days. I want to point that out that sometimes it's extremely fast, and sometimes it will take you just too much time. While in Sweden, you will uh, you will know exactly how long time everything takes. So I think that's the big downside with living abroad, and uh, there's no way around it other than just uh, uh, being able to uh, get patience enough to just outlive it. When it comes to Is it better in Sweden? Yes and no. Some things are better, of course. Uh, You pay more taxes and there's. uh, it gives you a better structure and a better system overall. But for example, when it comes to healthcare, I would say that Malta has better healthcare than Sweden. Uh, It might not have always been that way, but uh, the last years, I think it's been going... uh, it's been really bad in Sweden. So it's not necessarily always true that you get a lot of value for your money, but yes, of course, overall, you get a better society and better structure. So, if that's very important, then uh, that's a good reason to live in the Nordic countries.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned healthcare. Uh, in Spain, for example, the healthcare is also highly regarded, and I would say it's even better than Malta, whereas, again, in the u k my experience of the u k somehow it feels that people in the South maybe care more, like if you get a doctor or a nurse, maybe they either don't give a shit you know or or they care a lot about mm-hmm. the patient, whereas in the northern countries, it's more like you're a patient, there's a distance, you know, so they're not going to go out of their way to help you, but they will do like what is required as a, As a minimum, at least you know, so that's my impression, yeah, I, I know, know what you're true. saying,
1: yeah, they are very well educated, but they might not be in the profession because it's their passion or, or yeah. so it might more be like a career choice while in in Malta, it might actually be your passion if you're a doctor
0: mm-hmm. so so what's the problem that you've seen like in Sweden, for example, in healthcare? is it uh, too many people um, in hospitals or
1: I don't want to to give my opinion too much about that because I haven't been living there for uh, eight years now. Uh, But I just remember I was home uh, two summers ago and I had a nervous problem. So I was trying to see a neurologist. uh, I called the hospital and I said, I would like to book an appointment with a neurologist. They said, absolutely, but the waiting time is six months. And I was just thinking like, Oh, my God, I'm so happy I don't pay taxes in this country. <laughs> I don't have the right to complain because I don't pay taxes. But yeah. if I would be paying 60 percent taxes and then that's the answer you get when you actually need the healthcare, then, yeah, would be pretty disappointed, I guess.
0: Yeah. And so talking about taxes, we, we hear about the 60-70%. Is it really true that you pay that much taxes in these countries?
1: It really depends how you measure it. The total tax pressure is somewhere around 60-70% if you make quite a lot of money. But of course, there is some really good tax initiatives for like new companies and uh, people who don't make so much money don't pay so much taxes. So it's actually not as bad. But when you get to the higher level of income, you will end up paying almost 60-70%. And then you have another additional 25% of VAT that you pay when you buy stuff. So the total tax pressure, that's just, uh, yeah, I don't even want
0: (laughs) to (laughs) calculate. And so I I imagine that like the richer people are all incentivized to leave, no? Like if you're a successful entrepreneur or or even just rich through whatever means. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So I, I guess it could lead to a brain drain, kind of what also I think Malta experienced, and not not because of taxes, but because of other reasons. So I think that's a, a danger for countries when they treat, especially entrepreneurs, too much of an oppressive way through taxes or through other means. They they yeah. just leave, you know, because the world is becoming more remote. I think you also have mostly a remote business. So yeah, exactly. we can move around yeah. to which country treats us better in the end.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I believe not so many people would have moved if there was like a reasonable amount of tax. My yeah. choice was this. Either I pay 65% in Sweden or 5% in Malta. So the choice beca- became very clear for me. But if Sweden had, let's say, 20%, 30%, I mean, that would have been a little bit different. It wouldn't be so so interesting to look at that as, as a place to move to just because of the taxes. But when you get into the 60%, it's just uh, it's too much. And I think the government got a little bit too greedy. And that makes people leave. And in the end, they will just get less income from taxpayers because those people they move to another country like malta or cyprus and they set up their business there employ people there spend their money at those places
0: yeah i think there's a certain point where you cross a threshold and it becomes a disincentive to work harder and create new new businesses because if the majority of that income will go to the government anyway why bother you so how does Malta Because I'm Maltese, so I never saw Malta as a tax-efficient country because we have to pay the 35%, which is, I would say, it's on the border, you know, 35%.
1: I think it's the highest one in the in the EU, right, when it comes to corporate taxes.
0: That's true, yes. But then you don't pay the personal tax once. I mean, it's a one-time 35% and that's it. So in other countries like Spain... You might pay 25% on the corporate, but then you have another 23% when you withdraw the dividends. So it ends up being significantly more than Malta anyway. And so I want to get your perspective as a foreigner moving to Malta. How how does it work? How do you get the 5% and all all the tax benefits of Malta?
1: So you... As you said, if you're a Maltese, uh, you you cannot get uh, 5%. This is only for foreign nationals who is uh, non-domiciled in Malta. So what most people do is they open up a Cyprus holding company or a holding company somewhere else and uh, use that to get back the tax refund. So um, you pay 35% no matter... If you're a foreign national or a Maltese, and uh, then if it's a foreign holding company or a foreign national, you get back to 30, 30%. Okay. And
0: then, so the idea is to have the trading in Malta, trading company which you conduct business from, and then the tax refund is received by a, a company uh, which is abroad. Or you can have a holding company in Malta as well uh, if the shareholder is a foreigner who lives abroad. That's another. Yes, option. exactly.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. You, you can you can have a multi holding company only if you don't actually live in Malta, as I understood it.
0: Yeah. And so, what's the attraction of Cyprus then, from a tax perspective, first of all?
1: Okay. Uh, I was just going to say it's mostly personal reasons, and there's not so much um, upside when it comes to the taxes. I still have my old structure here. So, I'm using my Maltese company as a trading company, and then I have my my separate company as a holding company and um, I get basically the same tax benefits. The difference with Cyprus is that you have a dividend exception for non domicile which um, in, in reality makes you actually uh, 0% on your dividends. Um, or actually now it's 2.5% because they added um, some kind of um, government health tax on all the dividends. So. If you take a dividend of 100K, you will pay 2.5K. But that's it. Um, Now, this is a new incentive. I think it was 2017 or something. They added this. And it's only valid for people moving to Cyprus after 2017. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, And I believe this is called non domiciled uh, something, no?
1: uh, Yeah, something like that. Non domiciled tax exemption or. Something like that.
0: Okay, so the idea is then when you withdraw from the holding company to a foreigner resident in Cyprus, there's no further tax to be paid except this 2.5% that you mentioned. That's right. Whereas if, if the owner would be... Living in Malta, he would have to pay tax on repatriated profits back to Malta. There's another term, but I forgot the word exactly.
1: yeah, I, I know which one you mean. So you can't bring back the money yeah. to Malta. You have to actually store it abroad, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you you just need to apply for the actual certificate. What I've been told is that uh, you you need to um, uh, meet some requirements in order to get it. But practically, most most people should be able to get it.
0: The certificate in Cyprus, you mean? Yes. Yeah, I mean, as a as a foreigner, I don't see much problem now, and I guess you have to prove that you actually live there. So, what's the requirement for obtaining it? You have to rent an apartment or buy property. Are there any other requirements?
1: Yeah, exactly. You have to rent an apartment. You need the yellow slip, which is basically a proof of residence. Now the problem is to be able to get the proof of residence here. You have to go through a very long bureaucratic process. Uh, you you know what I'm talking about. That might take you six months, twelve months. So it's good to uh, plan ahead when it comes to dealing with Cyprus, even more more so than Malta. I would say, really? like things are, yeah, even more uh, f- further behind, and it, everything just takes a long time.
0: So let's compare. Malta and Cyprus. I've never been to Cyprus, unfortunately, but it's always been on my radar. You must come. Yeah, I know. I'll visit. <laughs> Not for many times. It's, uh, it's very similar to Malta, I would say. The- but there are two parts, right? Let's we'll start from there. There's like the It's divided in two, right? The yes. Island. So you're in the... I'm
1: in the Greek, Greek side. The Greek part.
0: Is that where most people go to? Yeah, that, that's right. Okay.
1: And then you have the what they call here occupied side which is uh, the northern republic of cyprus which is a state that's only been recognized by turkey so far so it's quite frowned upon here to go to the north side and uh, it's uh, still a little bit uh, infected the whole conflict so uh, it's a war that happened 75 so some of the uh, cypriot alive today they had people killed uh, they had uh, brothers and family killed so for them it's very sensitive. So they refer to Cyprus as the south part of the island. And the north part is just the occupied side.
0: So people basically avoid that part as as a yeah. foreigner I guess in Cyprus. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so what are the like if you could compare and contrast Malta and Cyprus, obviously Cyprus is Way bigger than Malta, I believe.
1: Yeah, about 40 times larger.
0: Yeah. So apart from the extra space, which I think is very important given how Malta got built up. I think even you've seen the change in in these few years. I've seen a much bigger change since I was born in Malta. But I think it's becoming quite crazy lately. And one one of the reasons why I left, actually that there was no longer any green space or, or anything like that. And I've heard a lot of good things about the countryside and Cyprus. So yeah, just I'll I'll hear it from you. I want to hear it from you like because you've lived in both places.
1: Yeah, so exactly like you said, Malta is way more compact. There's ob- obviously upsides with that as well because you have everything in walking distance and everything is close. Slema, you don't need a car, for example, you can, you can live on the island pretty comfortably without needing a car or or travel too much because you have everything in one place. Cyprus is the complete opposite. Here you really need a car, uh, whatever you need to do because there's so much space. And uh, personally, I love that space because I like to be in nature. and uh, I like to have less people around me. Yeah. I love spending people, I love spending time with people when I, when I want to spend time with people, but, but uh, when I'm at home, I just want peace and quiet nature and uh, not, not so much noise. So that's one of the biggest upside with Cyprus for me. Another upside I really like is the, um, diverse nature here. First of all, you have a lot, a lot more different beaches than Malta. And uh, I would say that they are, they are a little bit nicer overall. But it's just that they are not crowded with tourists. Of course, it, it tends to get quite busy in the summer, but uh, it's uh, not nearly as bad. So you can always find your place, and you can find smaller private beaches if you if you want to drive a little bit. And then you also have uh, just 45 minutes from Paphos, where I live, you have uh, the Trodos Mountains, which is a place you can go ski in the winter. It's uh, very different place it can be 20 degrees down by the sea and then you go up there you have minus five degrees uh, on the same day so i really appreciate that you you can always uh, find an activity in the winter time interesting yeah that's that sounds good
0: and how do the people like if you compare the people between malta and cyprus what's are they very similar
1: or not pretty similar i would say yeah Maybe I would say that uh, uh, Cypriots are there, there's more small villages here than in Malta, I believe and it also v- depends a lot where you are in Cyprus. If you look at Paphos it's basically a big village I would say if you go to Nicosia you have uh, 500,000 people and it's it gives you a feeling of a of big city and uh, atmosphere and uh, like you, you sense that the people are a little bit more modern in general there. Uh, So it's very different depending on where you are in Cyprus, but overall I would say Maltese and Cyprus are very similar. Nice, warm people, cooks amazing food, and uh, is always uh, helping you whenever you need it.
0: And weather-wise, I would imagine it's it's the same, no?
1: Yeah, it's very similar, very similar. I would say the winters here are slightly better. It's a little bit warmer during the day, A little bit cold during the night, though, but uh, it's not so rare to have days like 25 degrees in January and February. It's really nice during the day.
0: Are the houses warmer in winter, though? Oh, no. No, 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 no. no. (laughs) That used to kill me, Malta. (laughs) I don't know how you survived.
1: (laughs) I don't know. We had to uh, sit and shiver for two months in a row. Yeah. (laughs) We have the same problem here. Uh, It doesn't get much better. Actually, it might even be worse here because the nights are colder, mm-hmm. so you wake up in the morning and you know you just want to stay in bed the whole day, you know mm-hmm. the feeling, but uh, luckily, it's just like one or two, three months every year that you feel this way. the rest of the year is really nice.
0: yeah, I think I um, want uh, January, February bit of March those were yeah, and then I used to remember seeing your pictures or other Swedish guys in midwinter enjoying the sun outside and saying how how warm it is. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, it was funny for us because for us it was really winter, you know.
1: Yeah, you were wearing your hat probably.
0: Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, so in, in Cyprus then it's about finding the town that you like. You don't need to be in the and the city center it's not like monta where everything's happening in slima in terms yeah, exactly. of business and everything
1: i would say the biggest uh, city here where where most things are happening is Limassol mm-hmm. and um, this is in the middle of the island so whether you live in Paphos or larnaca or nicosia it, it will be an hour away tops
0: and how did you choose the location where you're at now the Paphos is it
1: Paphos, yeah, I live just outside Paphos. I uh, really love the nature out there. Mm -hmm. It's uh, super green and not so many people. I also appreciate having like a really big uh, house with a huge garden and all that. So it was a little bit better priced to go a bit outside.
0: Is it easier to rent or buy? How how does that work? How does it compare to Malta as well? Because rent in Malta has gone up very much.
1: Still keep going up after I left. I think (laughs) it was already expensive when I was there and they they got some kind of hubris about the rental prices order. In Cyprus, we don't really have that problem. There's way more available uh, rentals here, so the prices doesn't get pushed up as much. Uh, The problem here is if you want to rent an apartment, it's quite difficult to find, find apartments. It's very easy to find like big villas with pool and and all that. So you can you can find uh, something for 800 euros, three bedroom villa with pool, yeah. close to the sea. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's extremely if, if you're attracted to that kind of thing, then you will get a lot of value. For sure. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, I need to visit that. <laughs> you should, you should. It's not for everyone. I think either you really, you really love it or you don't like it at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's the same question I've been asking here about whether we should live in the city or in the outskirts. Here in Barcelona, obviously, Barcelona, everybody knows. It's a, it's a nice city. Great. There's a lot of things happening. But then you can move up, especially up north. On Costa Brava, there are some really nice areas. But you won't have uh, like the benefits of Barcelona. The airport is farther away if you travel a lot. And so... Yeah, it's a, it's a struggle because, like in Barcelona, there's a, a lot of pollution, noise, and and air pollution, and you can really feel the difference once you drive half an hour
1: out of the city. But then you need a car. What do you mean? I guess those are the choices you have. Either you can live in the city, and then you can escape to the countryside, or you can yeah. live in the countryside and occasionally escape to the city.
0: Yeah, and for people who work like us, I think it does make more sense. To live in the countryside with all its benefits but still have maintain the flexibility of going to the city i mean even the, the the fact that we can avoid rush hour for example you only need to queue up for an hour to get to the city because you yeah. can go at a better time that's worth so much all right so so now we talked about the like the personal journey of how you traveled. I want to talk about the business side. Because I think your, your story is also very inspiring. About like how you started. Again, why you left Sweden. But from the business side. No? And how you started off in Malta. And then how you built that.
1: Well, I started off when I was, uh, I think, 15 or 16. And I was extremely tired of school. And I just decided that I, I had to find another way. Because... I was not gonna make it good if I chose the school path. <laughs> so, almost accidentally, I started to make some uh, money on Google Adsense. I had uh, I had a website about uh, an old game I was playing in. Around which
0: year was this? Do you remember?
1: I think it was two thousand eight, maybe two thousand
0: seven. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Good period for starting online.
1: Oh, yes. Very good period. It's completely different today. You have to uh, work much harder to yeah. to get to the same results. I, I came across an opportunity to make money online. I saw some people doing it with Google AdSense and I just decided to try it. And I put Google AdSense on my website. I uh, made a few euros every day. I was so extremely happy that I decided I was going to make this my living. I don't care if I had to open up 200 websites, I was gonna make this my living. I got so excited about the idea to just make money passively. So I spent spent years while living at home, just experimenting with different websites and um, trying out uh, different uh, CPC platforms. And eventually I ended up with affiliate marketing, which is what, I, what I'm doing today. And um, It's been a very long journey. It feels uh, weird to think about those days because everything was just working completely different. And I had no goals. I had no idea what I would uh, do. The only thing I was focusing on was publishing new websites, which in retrospect was incredibly stupid, of course. So that's basically how I started with it. I was just experimenting to death until I found something that was lucrative that uh, that I were able to make money on and uh, that ended up to be loans loans finance saving accounts Uh, those were the most successful affiliate projects I had
0: and so when I met you in Malta the first time you were already doing this this kind of loans yeah yeah exactly I remember you telling me something I didn't understand it's interesting because in Malta, we don't have that comparison between companies for getting loans. It was a totally foreign concept for me. And when I when you told me, I'm like, I have no idea what this is. And then I heard it from another guy from Estonia who was doing the same thing. And yeah, now that I live in Spain, it's much more of a familiar concept because there are similar things here as well.
1: Yeah, Spain is but huge with then, the comparison yeah. websites.
0: Yeah. So you were doing this in Malta? loan comparison.
1: Yeah. So I found uh, I started with uh, loans just before I moved to Malta, actually, and that's how I started mm-hmm. to make good money. And um, I was making about, I think, one thousand five hundred euros or something like that. And that's when I decided to leave Sweden and uh, and move to to Malta. And you were still young at that. How old were you? Twenty. I was nineteen when I moved. Nineteen. Yeah, Yeah. So it did take me some years to to get to the point where I actually made money from affiliate marketing. And I think that's very, that's something I want to point out because many people, they miss that part of the journey where you have to experiment a lot until you find something that actually works. Yeah.
0: I usually tell people two to four years if you're lucky eh? and if you're doing things right.
1: Yeah, exactly. It it could happen in six months as well, but then you 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 need to hit the jackpot. You have to find a niche yeah. that's not uh, capitalized on yet, and uh, just magically happen to rack on Google or find good uh, ways to promote you on social media or whatever. But uh, as you said, two years is a more realistic time frame.
0: And then how did how did that grow?
1: So I continued building a lot of different websites in the finance niche, especially loans, and uh, kept doing it for a few years. Uh, then I got a little bit bored with with my business and the way we were doing things. I also realized that I'm not really providing much value just creating websites uh, to rank on Google that doesn't serve any purpose to the, the visitor. So uh, one day when I had around 400, I think 450 websites, I decided I'm going to build one website and focus everything on this one instead and completely change my strategy. I felt that it it wasn't very passionate for me to work on 400 different websites. It would uh, actually demotivate me and I realized this was a big part of it. So that's when I started to um, think about uh, what kind of website I should open, what kind of brand. And uh, yeah, that's how, how we started Financer, um, something we were still working on. My st- my f- number one focus today, even uh, five, six years later, uh, global comparison website that we're now operating in 26 markets. Remote work is the way we went I started in Malta by employing some people in office going there 9 a, 9 a.m. every day and um, watching over their shoulders and uh, getting uh, used to the to to being a CEO and, and doing things the traditional way but I, I realized that it wasn't really something interesting for me to be stuck in one place so uh, that's when I decided to um, think of another way to employ people and how to cooperate with people. And that's basically why we were able to grow Financer so much.
0: And so I was reading one of your blog posts where you explained, or I think it was even on the Financer.com website itself, and you were explaining the the way you employ people. And I found it quite interesting because I also try to make each people in our team a kind of entrepreneur within the company. I think that's the best way to find good people and not lose them. Uh, that's an important key. And because not lose them, people. exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was employed in the, a similar way when I started off. And if I hadn't had the setup, I would have left much earlier from the company. I was in. But I leave it to you to explain how you came up with this structure and how it works.
1: Well, the main problem I had with having employees was that I was always a bottleneck in Everything, all the decisions being made, I found it very difficult to teach people how to do a job super well. It was always mediocre results when I had employees. It was very difficult for me to to make them perform, basically. So I started thinking, how can I make people perform? The only logical thing I could come up with was that I needed to give them something more than just a monthly salary. And uh, I tried different, uh, different things, I tried to pay people per word, but that didn't work very well. I tried to pay them hourly rates, but uh, paying someone an, an hourly rate is just telling them to drag out their hours basically. So that didn't work very well either. I started to think about how I can tie their bonus or their, their payment to how they actually perform. And, uh, that's how I came up with the profit share system that we're still using. And I believe is the biggest reason why we're so uh, successful is because we pay people share of their market. And, uh, that's, that's something that's entirely dependent on them. And this has made people so, uh, they, they have grown so much, maybe when we hire, hire them, they don't know anything. They don't have an experience. They don't have an education about uh, anything remotely linked to what they're going to do. But just because they have a stake in the business, they uh, have so much motivation and dedication towards the business that they end up surpassing me in, uh, in the tasks they do. And uh, they obviously won't do it well because that's how they get paid.
0: And so could we get deeper into, into this concept for others who want to follow it? I mean, your website is is basically a model where you have people in each country and they, they're the experts for that country because you don't know personally how loans work in each country, right? So you have to have an expert in that country. Yeah. And so they dedicate themselves to becoming that expert and based on the revenue they generate from that country they take a part of that
1: yeah exactly they are the country managers of their market and uh, they are are operating all different areas so they write the content they build links they do seo they uh, create affiliate relationships they do data entry they they do everything basically And uh, it's not that they have to do it themselves. They can also hire assistants to do it for them. But in the end, it's uh, their responsibility to make the market perform. Right. Okay. And this uh, lights a fire inside of them. It doesn't happen in the beginning, but after three to six months working uh, on the project, and they see the link when I work more, when I work smarter, when I come up with good ideas, this is where i see the value
0: right so so you hire like there would be self-employed in their country how does it work do you give them a base kind of salary and then everything on top of that is a part of the revenue that they generate
1: we have actually three different payment models we have a payment per task which is uh, different depending on what task they do but for example if they do data entry work, they will get paid for each of the entry they do. So they will always have a base salary, still it will be performance based because if they don't do anything, they won't get anything. And again, it's not about hours, so they can do it on their own time. The second thing is uh, we give a loyalty bonus every month to uh, everyone on the team. And uh, this bonus is uh, built upon how long time they have been working how much uh, milestones they have reached and um, things of this nature. So, so this is something they get on top of the salary every month. Interesting. And then the third thing is the profit share model, which I want to make up for 90% of the revenue in the long term for them. And I want them to really make good money from their markets. So this profit share model is what uh, what made people motivated. And uh, this is where they get a percentage from the market.
0: How do you calculate it? Is it on the revenue directly?
1: It's on the profit, actually. So they also care about what kind of expenses they have. You know, you just not create several AdWords campaigns to boost up the the, the revenue, but they also think, how can we do this long term? And that's why we have been focusing so much on, on SEO.
0: So you set up each country as its own business center, although... You don't have a company set up in each country. You have this internal way of calculating how much profit is being done in each country.
1: Yeah, exactly. You can call it like a virtual company or something.
0: Uh And then if they hire somebody else to help them, would it be you hiring the company or would it be up to them to hire people themselves?
1: So they would hire them themselves. They would uh, get some advice from... um, uh, the recruitment manager in the company, so they would do it together. But in the end, they are actually in charge of finding the people they can work with the best.
0: Have you found any problems in setting up in any, any countries with the self-employed model? If that's what you use, I'm not sure that that's what you use.
1: Yes and no, it's a little bit different in different countries. We we had uh, we have had some uh, challenges. One thing is that. Some people are not so interested to set up their uh, own business because it takes a lot of paperwork and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, of course, that will narrow down our uh, applicants when we when we search for a new country manager. But at the same time, if someone doesn't want to do that, then it's a good filter for us as well, because then we know they're not really serious about it. And the other thing is that I would say the biggest challenge we have had with the whole project is finding dedicated country managers for specific countries where the base salary is very high. So for example, Norway and Sweden uh, has been incredibly hard because what we give is a promise that one day in the future, you might be able to make way more money than you make today. But today, your base salary will be the bare minimum of what you can live on in those countries. While countries like Philippines, and Indonesia, Brazil, it's a little bit different story. They, they're very grateful for the base salary we, we provide in the first place.
0: Yeah. And would it be possible, say, for a Norwegian to move to a cheaper country and work from, from there while still doing the Norwegian uh, region?
1: Exactly. So that's what we're looking for when we're hiring people. We, we're looking for people who want to be uh, location-independent, and uh, preferably someone who's already uh, running their own business and doing freelancing and independent contracting, but just wants to stop the hassle of finding new clients every month and work more dedicatedly to, to one client. Very interesting.
0: I, I operate yeah, on a similar model, and I think for remote work, it works uh, very well because I think it can also be a bit lonely sometimes with remote work and having this inner fire that you're building something for your own. True. It's very important.
1: Yeah, yeah. not not everyone can uh, handle that, I believe. The social aspect is really difficult. Even for people in our team, um, even if they have been doing this for years now, they still feel like that's probably one of the things they have to sacrifice a little bit on. But then again, we have been uh, trying to counteract that by doing work retreats, meeting up with the team, and uh, just uh, finding other ways to socialize, doing team calls and stuff like that. Right.
0: And do you do like a work retreat once a year or multiple times?
1: So far, we have done it uh, twice per year. Um, and it's been about one to three weeks. Actually, the first work retreat we had, we, we went one month to Bali, everyone, and stay in one villa there for a whole month. And uh, it was a really good experience, but we also learned that um, work retreats are better if it's a bit shorter. Yeah. So now we have been doing about 10 days, which seems to be the best.
0: Yeah, I mean, like if eventually there are people, I imagine if they come for a month, they wouldn't have families back home. I can't imagine yeah, no. leaving my wife and son for a month <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> to go to Bali. I don't think my wife would like that. <laughs> or I could bring them with me. <laughs> that's another option.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's an uh, issue we, we found. So we, we decided it's it's better to have it during two weeks. And then everyone can come whenever they want during those two weeks. So if you want to come for just four or five days, that's fine. If you want right,
0: okay. to nice.
1: come for the whole period, That that's also very good. So... Last time we, we were in Cyprus and uh, we had 25 people coming out of the 45 people in the team. So that was really nice to see so many people could uh, could make it. And so many people uh, really appreciate um, the company and they want to build culture with us. So it's not just working from home and having a client you never see, but it's a more personal relationship.
0: Very interesting. And so like, How do you spend as CEO your day? Do you spend all your time on the business or do you do other things like investing in other stuff or anything like that?
1: Uh, Comes and goes a lot. Sometimes we have fires I have to put out and then I'll be stuck behind the desk doing very basic work for the whole day. Other other times I can spend two weeks just uh, doing a little bit of everything, looking into investments writing on my personal blog, etc. So I would say my days look very differently. Yeah. Probably 50% of my time at least goes to uh, delegating to other people and having having meetings, seeing uh, seeing what's up, just putting my finger on the pulse. Well, what kind
0: of investments are you excited about these days?
1: Uh, right now I'm not very excited at all about investments. In fact, I have been laying very low on that for, for the last uh, six six months I've been uh, ex- expecting the economy to not do uh, to not perform too well so I've been just laying low seeing what happens with all of the pandemic and all of this
0: being in the finance space what do you think could be like when this is over or or even I mean at some point I mean there's always opportunities right even if there's a catastrophic event. I'm of the opinion that there's always a good opportunity. We're seeing i mean stocks have risen. crypto is doing well these last few days. Mm, yeah do you do you see any anything that you might be interested going forward
1: yeah i've been I've been investing a little bit still. i've been uh focusing on uh more like trading, not so much long term stuff. I've been mm-hmm. investing in some uh, vaccines, medication for corona, for example. Really. Made some good money there. Sold it.
0: And how would you invest in those? Uh, do you mean the companies that produce the vaccines?
1: Yeah, in the in the stock market on the companies that produce those things. And uh, I see, I see some good signs that we might uh, recover more and more. Like you said, yeah. crypto is doing well. Stock market is back to normal. But I still have this uh, feeling that it's not over yet, and that we're going to go through possibly a depression. The coming one or two years so that's why i'm just lay- laying quite low on investing right now and i'm i'm saving it my piggy bank to be able to um, go back and invest all the all the money when i feel it's it's a better time
0: yeah what about cyprus are there any investment opportunities in general keeping again keeping apart the the current situation do you see any investment opportunities on the ground and cyprus itself
1: possibly real estate uh, prices here have been dropping a lot since the pandemic came here and um, there are some really good deals but uh, i'm not an expert on that i really have no idea if it's a good time or not
0: all right so i guess to close off maybe i would like and i've been following your blog and i would urge listeners to check out your blog because you've been doing a good job there thank you Talking about both business and the the personal side of it, which is perhaps what I enjoy reading more about. So what are some kind of inspirations? Do you join any groups for entrepreneurs? Where do you get the inspiration from? And like, not only in business, but in life, like I would like to you to share your philosophy of how you live and who you look up to in terms of inspiration.
1: Mm -hmm. Hmm. I guess this is the oldest trick in the book, but surrounding yourself with people who's on the same path as you, this has been the game changer for me just to constantly stay in touch with people that inspire you when you, when you have a call with them, you close the call, having more energy, having more ideas. This is really what uh, made me grow in the first place when I moved to Malta, for example. And uh, I think it's still what's making me grow. So Hanging out with with the people who you can relate to and who's doing similar things, preferably who's also above you, who have who have done more than you, sometimes could be really good to mix it up a little bit. And if you can't find those people, then books, following entrepreneurs so on social media and YouTube, that I believe that works just as as good. It's all about just uh, consuming content on a daily basis that puts you in the direction you want to go from people who have, have done what you want to do.
0: You mentioned, yeah, I am totally agree that, and this is perhaps the biggest mistake that people do about surrounding yourself with the right people. And like living in Malta, I saw this, this mistake being done a lot because in Malta, you know, the, the community is really tight. You tend to have the friends from childhood to, to adulthood. And it's very hard to break out of that circle. And personally, I could only have done it by moving abroad because I had to start from scratch. And I don't mean it in a bad way. I mean, nothing wrong with the people in Malta or the friends I had or have back there. But to grow, you need to put yourself in a position where you're challenged. And in Malta, it was hard for me. And I understand that it can be totally the opposite for Someone like you coming to Malta because maybe, again, it's the same thing. You're coming to some new place. So it's not a problem with Malta in general. It's the problem with tight communities. And so for me, that was one of the biggest things of surrounding myself with good people.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think I had the same problem in Sweden. That's why I wanted to move. You you just get a fresh start and it's more natural to start meeting Like when you start meeting new people, you want to look for the people who are like-minded to your current situation. As you said, you might have a lot of uh, old friends from the childhood and stuff like that. And it becomes a little bit more difficult to just change those.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I left Malta, I think the first big place where I found this was in Chiang Mai in Thailand. I don't know if you've spent any time there, but back in 2012, uh, I don't know if it still is the place, but back then it was where all the digital nomads and it wasn't even a a big concept back then it was still something new but they were all congregating there so you would walk into a cafe and everybody would be like you would see literally everybody's on the wordpress dashboard creating sites you know this was before that's what i
1: love about the time we're living in today you can can easily find so many people in the same kind of Uh, mindset and the same profession
0: so yeah so that's how i started and then i tried to maintain the same concept uh, when i traveled Uh, but you mentioned also another important thing to always try to find someone who's a bit better than you and i think that's also very hard for people yes i think sometimes people either try to get the attention of someone who's way way beyond what their current status is and he can't even help them even if he were interested or they're they're in
1: different worlds
0: or they don't have like the courage to or knowledge of how to get in touch with these people so what's your strategy for doing that
1: well i think like you said it's it's very difficult because the people you want to get mentored by are not typically people who's going to announce that and be like hey anyone wants to be mentored there are people who you have to build connection with long term. And uh, I think it's easiest to build friendships first with people you respect. And uh, then you can hope that maybe they can give you some advice. I mean, you don't build a friendship to get advice, but if you try to seek um, towards people who, are, who have accomplished more than you, then you will be inspired and you will grow yourself anytime you spend time with them. So I think that's the best best way to do it for me. But I also believe you're not uh, you don't really need to have in-person mentors to be able to get get the same benefits. I believe if you follow big entrepreneurs and uh, learn more about their life, not only the success stories but what they actually did and what they actually went through, I think you can get the same benefits.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like I, I for sure, uh, reading was. And still is one of the biggest things for me, along with listening to podcasts. And beyond that, I would say the relationship building. I think my blog was one of the biggest catalysts for my success and meeting people. Because as you said, you put out the value first. I'm just writing about things I'm interested in. And sometimes people who are like, I would say I would consider better than me in a better position than me would find something useful in some specific area that i i went deeper into so they would get in touch and then we become friends or we have some really nice communication over email or whatever and and that's how i start building those relationships so it's i think it's less about being in a place nowadays where i can just go out and meet people and more about at least starting the relationship online through providing some kind of value.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like everything is just a flight away anyways and Yeah. We're we're traveling quite frequently so we can uh, if we want to really meet someone it's not that difficult to do that. Yep. Yeah. These uh these times. All right.
0: So uh, to close it off, uh, I think I feel the same energy after talking to you as you mentioned. <laughs> When you talk to someone, uh, thank you. Yeah, uh, interesting. You get the energy, and that's why also I do this podcast. Um, so before we close off, uh, is there any other thing you wanted to mention, or where and if not, where people can find you online?
1: So uh, I'm I'm blogging on my my personal uh, blog. Uh, I'm trying to get started more with that. So johanneslarsen.com. And uh, I'm, I'm not really too active on social media right now, but I am planning to become really active there as soon as I can uh, focus on, on that and leave aside my other business. So uh, Mr. Jola on Instagram is probably where I will be most active in the coming months. That's where you'll
0: find some inspiration and photos of Cyprus and uh, yeah. the com lifestyle. No? <laughs> yes, exactly. Excellent. Okay. Thank you for your time, uh, Johannes. Um, Hope to speak soon. And yeah, thanks for
1: coming on. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to
0: another episode of Mastermind.fm. If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at mastermind.fm or even connect with us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a
1: fantastic week.